Hey, good morning, everyone, and welcome to worship. Uh, so good to be worshiping with you today. That's a clip from a movie, pretty creative movie, called Wreck-It Ralph. I'm not quite sure what I'm going to do when my kids grow up and I don't get to see animated movies anymore. What will I do for movie illustrations? But uh, it's based on this, these bunch of characters at an arcade, and you've got these video games, and at the end of the day, they all go to their various homes, and they live in arcade video game character community. And so this is a video game called Fix-It Felix, and it's having a 30th anniversary, and there's this big celebration. And so Felix is the hero, and Ralph is the villain. Felix is the good guy, and Ralph is the bad guy. And they don't invite the bad guy to the party. The bad guy's not welcome at the party. As we get started, let's read this verse together from Matthew 19. It's on the screen. I'll read it out loud with me. Why ask me about what is good? Jesus replied. There is only one who is good. Only one who is good, and of course that is God. And yet, doesn't it seem like you and I spend a whole lot of time in our life kind of dividing or separating people out and putting people into different categories? We've got the good guys over here, and we've got the bad guys over there. And we kind of learn this early on in life, don't we? Even the games we play on the elementary school playground, it's often good guys versus bad guys, or different sporting teams, you know, you got the good guys versus the bad guys, the Chiefs and the Raiders, the Hawkeyes and the Cyclones, you know, good guys, bad guys. Uh, was there a big game yesterday or something for the Cyclones? Congratulations, Cyclone fans. I am all on the bandwagon with you. And we come to church even when we're little, and it seems like the Bible stories are all about good guys and bad guys. You got, you know, David and Goliath, obviously, but Moses and Pharaoh, uh, Gideon in the Midianites, Samson in the Philistines, Daniel and Nebuchadnezzar. And even when Jesus shows up on the scene, he seems to be kind of playing this good guy, bad guy thing as well. This is Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5. Just listen to this passage. You have heard the law that says, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. In that way, you'll be acting as true children of your Father in heaven. For he gives his sunlight to both the evil and the good. And he sends rain on the just and the unjust alike. All sorts of things I love about Jesus, and one of the things I love about him, I'm not sure I used to love this, but more and more I love this about Jesus. He doesn't make it easy for us. He wants us to really think about things. He wants us to question. He wants us to wrestle. And so here we have Jesus in Matthew 5, and he's talking about loving our neighbors, but also loving our enemies. They're a little harder to love. He's talking about God giving sunlight to both evil and good. We got these different categories or sending rain on the just and the unjust. We got these different categories. But then in Matthew 19, Jesus says, only God is good, which means everyone else is in the same category. So which is it, Jesus? Do we have categories of people or not? Or are we supposed to believe maybe Jesus, early on in his ministry, he believed one thing, but then he grew, he matured, or he flip-flopped Early on in his ministry, he's got this really optimistic view of human nature. There's a lot of good people in the world, a lot of good people in the world. And then he calls some of those people into his closest you know, circle, the 12 disciples. And after living closely with them for 12 years, Jesus is now convinced, no, nope, only God's good. Everyone else is not so good. And you would think the same thing if you had to live with Thaddeus and Bartholomew too. What is it, Jesus? What are we supposed to believe? What's all this talk about good and evil, good guys and bad guys in the Bible? 
What if it's not really trying to say something about who we are? What if the good and evil in the Bible is really about telling us something about who God is? And, and let me see if I can explain this, break this down. That clip we watched from uh, movie Wreck-It Ralph, it happens right after Ralph returns home from a Bad-Anon meeting. Get it? Not Al-Anon, but Bad-Anon. Got all of these video game villains who gather together in a support group on a regular basis to talk about how difficult it is to be the bad guy all the time. And so they got to support each other and encourage one another. And Ralph finally decides he's going to show up and just listen to the conversation that unfolds. Take a look. I love it. There's a, there's a lot in that scene that kind of lines up with what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus. And there's some things that kind of get close to it, but, but miss the mark ultimately. I mean, they're having that conversation and they're talking about this reality that we cannot change who we are, and that's true. You and I do not have the power to change who we are, but God does. And when Jesus says there's only one who is good, part of what Jesus is saying is every single one of us, we have things in our life that need to change, and we're powerless to change them. Uh, Clyde, the ghost from Pac-Man, he's trying to convince Ralph, the sooner you just accept your badness, the better your life will be. It is what it is. And the problem is that's not true for followers of Jesus. Following Jesus is not about staying the same. Following Jesus is about transformation. It's about uh, changing into the people God created us to be. Let's read this verse together. Uh, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. Read this out loud with me. By his divine power, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. We have received all of this by coming to know him. Our theme this year at Hope is to know and to be known. And it comes from all sorts of places in the Bible where, where the idea is that it's good. It's really helpful for us to get to know one another, to live together in community, but also to get to know God at deeper and deeper levels all the time. The more we get to know God, we're absolutely convinced by this, the more we get to know God, the more God's power is at work in us, helping us live a godly life. And I want you to pay close attention to who it is that writes these words. It's Peter, right? One of Jesus' disciples, one of the closest disciples. But Peter, Peter's the original Wreck-It Ralph, isn't he? Peter's always wrecking things. I mean, remember what happens when he tries to walk on water? He wrecks it. He's doing okay for a while, but he takes his eyes off Jesus, and he sinks. He sees the, the wind and the waves and the storm, and Jesus says to him, where's your faith? Why'd you doubt me? Remember what happens at the transfiguration. Jesus takes Peter, James, and John. They go up on a mountain for kind of a prayer retreat, and while they're praying, a couple of the biggest heroes of the Bible uh, Moses and Elijah show up there with him, and Peter starts freaking out. He can't believe this. He says, we should build a monument, and we should charge people to come and give them tickets, and they can see Jesus and Moses and Elijah. It'll be great. And Jesus just kind of shakes his head and rolls his eyes. Peter's wrecking things again. Remember what happens when Peter declares Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. It's a good thing. He's the first one of the disciples to do this, but then he wrecks it. Jesus says, you're right, Peter. I am the Messiah, and part of what that means is I'm going to die. And Peter's like, no, 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 no. That'll never happen, Jesus. I'll protect you. And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. Peter's like, I thought it was pronounced Satin. No. <laughs> Remember what happens when Jesus is arrested in the garden? Peter wrecks that. He pulls out a sword. He cuts off the ear of Malchus, one of the soldiers. And Jesus has to 
heal the ear of this man who's there to arrest him. Jesus is then on trial for his life, and Peter denies Jesus three times. Peter is always wrecking things, and so am I, and so are you. I mean, it's, it's no wonder one of the most recognized songs in all of Christianity is Amazing Grace. Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wreck like me. Wretch, I guess is what it says, isn't it? In order for God's grace to be amazing, we actually have to admit our wretchedness. And we are. We're wretches. The Old Testament prophet Isaiah says we all like sheep have gone astray. Paul says we've all fallen short of God's glorious standard. Jesus says there's only one who is good, and that's God. It's not you, it's not me. God's the only one who is good. Christianity is in decline in America, and one of the reasons is we're not very good at owning our wretchedness. What we are good at is pointing the finger and looking at everybody else and saying, did you see what a wreck they made of their life? We conveniently ignore the wreck in our own lives. There's a guy named Dallas Willard. He's a kind of a philosopher. He's written a lot of books, and one of the things Dallas Willard says is spirituality wrongly understood or pursued is a major source of human misery and rebellion against God. There's a lot of people who don't want to have anything to do with church, and it's not because of who God is, it's because of spirituality wrongly understood. Spirituality wrongly understood is, again, this idea that we look at everybody else and we put them into the categories and we say, they're bad, they're not valuable, they're unworthy, they're too much of a wreck. Spirituality wrongly understood is not about following Jesus, it's just primarily about following the rules. Spirituality wrongly understood, it turns us into people who are incapable of love, but we confuse our inability to love with having the high ground when it comes to morality. And we say things like, you know, love the sinner, hate the sin, but have you ever noticed it's really difficult to love the sinner when you're hating the sin? Spirituality wrongly understood is, feels like we're forced to do this. We got to do it or else. Spirituality wrongly understood turns us into people like Gene in that first clip from Wreck-It Ralph who he says to Ralph, you're not welcome here. There's no room for you here. You could never be good. On the flip side, spirituality rightly understood is life. Spirituality, rightly understood, is very attractive. There's something about it that just compels us. We want to be a part of it. Spirituality, rightly understood, is getting to this place where we recognize our wreck and we humbly accept grace and we trust in God's amazing love. Spirituality, rightly understood, turns following Jesus into something we're excited about. It's a get-to, not a got-to. And our Bible reading today from John chapter 8, it's a pretty good picture of the difference between spirituality rightly understood and spirituality wrongly understood. There's this woman who's made a wreck of her life, and everybody knows she falls into the bad girl category. And there's a bunch of guys who are absolutely convinced they're in the good guy category. And they bring this woman to Jesus, and and they're convinced because of the mess that she has made, she deserves to die. What do you think, Jesus? And Jesus thinks about it for a while, not because he's not sure what his answer is going to be, but he pauses for dramatic effect, wants to make sure nobody misses what he is about to say. And he says, okay, you you can punish this woman. 
But only if you're convinced, only if you're sure you have never sinned, only if you can look me in the eyes and say, you've never made a wreck of things, then you go ahead and cast the first stone. And it's like in that moment, Jesus is shining a light into the closed off hearts of those men. And for the first time in a long time, maybe the first time in forever, they actually have to recognize their own wretchedness. And one by one, they drop their stones and they walk away. Jesus says to the woman, I do not condemn you. He also says to the woman, go and sin no more. And then let's read together what Jesus says to the crowd that's kind of gathered around to watch this all unfold. Read this out loud with me. I am the light of the world. If you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness because you will have the light that leads to life. Been a while since I shared with you uh, what's been happening with me and my counselor. It's not because I haven't been going to see my counselor. I had an appointment this week with my counselor and I was not looking forward to it. I was actually looking for ways to uh, cancel it, hoping that maybe somebody would have a pastoral care emergency and I would be able to call and say, I don't, don't have to go, but you're all so healthy that nothing like that happened. And so I'm driving, it's about a 20-minute drive, and the whole way up I'm thinking there was something I want, I knew I needed to talk about with my counselor and I didn't want to. One of those embarrassing things that kind of makes me come face-to-face with the reality that I'm wreck at Scott sometimes. And so I didn't want to talk, I said, what else could we talk about? What else could we talk about? And couldn't think of anything else. So I sit down in the chair and we start to talk. And I don't know why I do this, because it, it happens this way every time. I share and there's no judgment, there's no condemnation. There's examination and exploration and trying to figure out what's going on. And then there's the idea of, why don't you try it this way? This might be a better way to deal with these kinds of things. I got in the car and I'm driving home and I'm like, I am so glad that I didn't keep it in the dark. I'm so glad I got it out into the light. When Jesus says, I am the light of the world, he means all sorts of things. But one of the things he means is it's time for us to stop pretending like our lives are wreck-free. Time for us to stop pretending like there's these categories of people and I'm over here and you're over there. It's time for us to be open and real and honest about the mess we make of our lives. This last Tuesday night was one of the best nights we've had around Hope Ankeny in quite some time. Tuesdays for years, we've had this ministry called uh, The Cupboard. It's an emergency food pantry, and people come in throughout the day, and we give them a bag of food to help them get to the weekend or the next paycheck or whatever. And then on Tuesday evenings, we host a, a meal, a community meal. It's called The Supper Table. And one of the things I love about Tuesdays is we become a little more diverse congregation on Tuesdays. And people show up who don't look like the rest of us. And different skin, different, um, I don't know, sort of educational background, socioeconomic level, life experiences. It gives us a little diversity. It makes us actually look more and more like the body of Christ. It's a good thing. We've been hosting that meal for, for many years now. And then on this last Tuesday, we started a couple of new things. Uh, we started a, a group launch sermon-based study on this I Am message series. So for the six Tuesdays during Lent, people come, they watch a little video of the sermon from the last weekend, and then in groups, they talk about it, talk about what's going on. It's a good way to get to know some people and to get connected, celebrate recovery. Um, if you're looking for a place to get real, a safe place to be honest about the wrecks in your life, Celebrate Recovery might be for you. It's going to be ongoing every Tuesday as we move forward, and of course you are invited to both of those. 
Part of what happens at Celebrate Recovery every week, we read through the eight principles of recovery. And they're based on the Beatitudes, some of the teaching of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. Let's read principle four together out loud. Again, it's on the screen. Read it with me. Openly examine and confess my faults to myself, to God, and to someone else. And then Matthew 5.8, it's what it's based on. Read this with me. Happy are the pure in heart, for they will see God. I'm the light of the world, Jesus says. I'm going to shine the light of my love and my grace into those dark and hidden corners of your heart and your soul. If we're going to have a good examination, we need some light. And it can sound kind of scary. It can sound like something, I'm not sure if I want that. But it's really a good thing. It's really an incredibly freeing thing. It leads to this kind of reality. Happy are the pure in heart. We examine things. We confess what we need to confess. We receive grace and forgiveness and mercy. Our hearts are pure, and now we see God. Again, we need light to see. We see God. And so Jesus says to the woman, I don't condemn you. There's forgiveness. There's grace. He also says, go and sin no more. And that requires the light of the world. Your word is a light to my feet, a a lamp to my feet, a light to my path. God's going to shine the light so that we can see the way forward, the way to a whole new kind of life. We need the light of the world. But so many of us, we buy into this lie of spirituality, wrongly understood, and it's all about trying so very hard to follow the rules, trying so very hard to be perfect. And in this part of the world, if we can't do things perfectly, we're pretty good at pretending or, or hiding those parts that are imperfect so that all people see is it looks like things are perfect, and it's not. And there's all kinds of wreckage and damage. And make no mistake, sometimes we cause the wreck, sometimes the wreck happens to us. I'm just telling you, you cannot avoid the wreck. And sometimes it's the things that happen to us that cause us to respond in ways that create even more wreckage and damage. You lose your job unexpectedly and you weren't prepared for it and you start responding in ways that are very damaging. Or this child that you've raised, that you've loved, that you've sacrificed for, that you'd give anything for, well, they grow up and they don't want to have anything to do with you. And how do you respond to that? Someone you love gets sick, someone you love dies, and you find yourself in this place, you're like, how did I get here? This isn't how it's supposed to go. I I didn't sign up for this. This is dark. This is messy. This feels broken. Singer-songwriter Leonard Cohen, in his song Anthem, he sings these lyrics. There is a crack in everything. That's how the light gets in. I remember one of my religion classes at Central College, the professor was talking about the way Christianity kind of views the world, particularly the way Christianity views human nature. And he he said something like, Christianity has a pessimistic view of human nature. Total depravity, right? There is no one who is good. I remember raising my hand and saying, yeah, I suppose you could call that a pessimistic view of humanity. I think I'd probably call it a realistic view of humanity. I think Christianity has a realistic view of humanity. The reality is there's a crack in everything, and the reality is that's how the light gets in. The reality is we're created by God on purpose. We've been given the image of God. We're image bearers. And that means God says to each one of us, here is the path 
the narrow road that leads to life. There's another path you could go. It's a wide road. A lot of people go down that road, but it leads to death and destruction. Which way do you want to go? And the reality is most of us choose the wrong path multiple times throughout the course of our life. And the reality is God loves us anyway. That God comes from heaven to earth. He dies for us. He takes the condemnation that should have been ours. He takes that. And then he says, follow me continually. We're going to make a wreck of our life. We can't fix it on our own, but there's a God who can, who can fix, who can restore, who can rebuild whatever wreck we have in our life, who can save, who can heal, who can give new life. And once you start walking down this path, follow me, Jesus says. I'm the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light that leads to life. One more clip from Wreck-It Ralph. He's convinced that he can be good, and he thinks if he wins a medal playing some game, then everyone will accept him, and he can be part of the good guy group. And so he goes rogue. They call it going turbo, and he's going through all the different games that he's not supposed to be a part of. And Felix is chasing him, trying to get him and, and bring him back to the right game. And Felix gets captured by the real villain in the movie, and Ralph has to rescue him. Take a look. We're just a bunch of guys and girls trying really, really hard to be good, and we're just incapable of doing it. And we keep making wrecks of relationships and all sorts of things in our life. And what if we just gave up trying to be good? And instead we listened to the one who is calling us to follow him. Peter, wreck it Peter, remember him? He hangs out with Jesus, and slowly over time, things change. It doesn't mean he stops wrecking things. You keep reading in the book of Acts and Peter's still wrecking things. But he knows he's loved. He gives up trying to be good. And he writes this because he experiences it in his own life and he wants us to experience it. Peter says, you are a chosen people, a holy nation, God's very own possession. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God. Stop trying to show others how good you are Show others the goodness of God, for he, God, called you out of the darkness and into his wonderful light. Would you stand with me, please? Let's pray together, and then let's sing these songs. Lord, we thank you that uh, you are good, and that you love us despite our inability to be good enough. I ask that you would show us you are enough, your grace is enough. I ask that you would continue to call out to us and you would give us the faith to follow you, to surrender, to lay down our lives, to to lay down this desire to be perfect, to just give it up and to allow you to go to work with your grace changing us. Help us to believe your divine power has everything we need for living a godly life. Give it to us, please, in Jesus' name. Amen.